Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your girl Mitzi, and this is Mitzi. Let's think about it today. We are thinking about a junkie to a judge, and that's a real thinker, you know, because that's not something that you pair and you tie together, you know. So that's the opposite. <laughs> so luckily for me, I have a guest who has gone through this journey personally and wants to share it with the world so that if you are going through an addiction and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, let's be honest, there is one. We just got to look a little harder. <laughs> so Mary is here to explain her her little life story. So um, thank you so much, Mary, for, jo- for joining me and being on my show. Sure. And I am from New Jersey, so it's actually Mary Beth, but I know that other parts of the country often don't get that. So no problem at all. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I call my my memoir from Junkie to Judge, One Woman's Triumph Over Trauma and Addiction, because my story is really about both. And that is really common with people who have a substance use disorder. So I, you know, I was an abused child. My mother wasn't bonded to me. My stepfather was really violent with her, with me physically, sexually. And it just sort of, you know, it made drugs appealing. And so, you know, I picked up my first drug at 12, which was alcohol. It was Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill wine, which a lot of people know. Um, But by 17, I was shooting meth and I was in full bore addiction in high school. And I really didn't get sober till 32. So it was a long haul. Wow, that does sound like a long while. Well, like, but quick question though: what made what what did you encounter in your life that made you realize like this has to end? Something has to change in my life before I, I'm I'm dead or something. Like, what was that reality check? I mean, for me, it was a, a combination of things. And I think that's true for most people. There's this sort of fantasy in the movies. It's like this, you know, epiphany in the moment, but usually it's a buildup of things. And so for me, I was 32. I was having physical problems, like, you know, the toxicity of the drug was starting to show up. I, I had worked my way down the corporate ladder, is the way I phrase it. I couldn't hold a job. Um, I was really just, you know, exhausted and in despair. And my partner was ready to throw me out. And so it was all of those things together that made me finally say, you know, well, what if I go to rehab? (laughs) And so that's, that's how, that's how my recovery started um, was because of all those things really in combination. No, that makes sense because in reality, you, you, you get the notation little by little. It's just once you finally have that moment to piece it all together, it's like, oh, this is the epiphany, you know, and it's not all, it's not just one big moment, a cloud passes by, says change your life. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't really happen like that. So it's nice that you were just honest and be like, yeah, I just, I just put it all together. So that makes sense. But what made you want to go into law? You know, I read that you were, you went into Berkeley and, and you made like such a successful time there, but what made you desire to go into law? You were like, I need to prove that I can do this or what was it for you? Well, I mean, when I was young, I was actually really verbal and argumentative and everyone always told me I would make a good lawyer. You know? And so um, I actually went to law school right out of college, but um, but I had really started using meth again heavily in my senior year of college. I had had a I had been a little better for the first three years of my college career. Um, and so by the time I got to law school in the fall, after really picking meth up heavily again in January, I couldn't do it. I was like in no shape and I couldn't get to class 
and I had to withdraw. And so this was like an agonizing loss. You know, I had had Berkeley Law School in my hands and I had to give it back because of my drug wow. addiction. And so when I got sober, it was sort of this underlying pain, but I was in no shape in the beginning to, you know, sort of leap into a professional job. I had to work my way up, you know, to even being able to hold a full-time job. It, it yeah. took me a while. I didn't have, I didn't have any practice of going to work every day on time yeah. and staying yeah. all day and doing a good job. I, I needed to get sort of my feet underneath me. Um, and so I, you know, we had a couple different jobs over six years. And then I applied to law school when I had six years sober. And so it was really like my, it was going back to my original dream. It was going back to what I had wanted um, initially in the beginning. I love that. I love how you were just completely honest and you and you were made it very realistic for yourself. So it wasn't as if it was a big leap. You set little goals and it became little accomplishments and it was just it became realistic to get to that point in your life again. And I think that's beautiful because people need to be reminded that you can do it, but just focus on the little goals, focus on what you can handle day by day, because that makes a difference later on it gets the it gets the ball rolling and i love that i absolutely love that so once you got into law school you're going down that journey did this haunt you or did you hold the shame of you getting lost in drugs and how did you keep that away from other people that you were working with your coworkers or your other interns i mean did that did, was that like a big stigma because for me i would feel like that would be a hard thing to share when in a field that is so judgmental to people with that type of past so what was it for you I mean, there definitely is a lot of stigma around substance use disorder. It's, I mean, mental health disorders in general are stigmatized, but but addiction is really the most stigmatized. And um, and and the truth is that attorneys actually have double the rate of of addiction in as to all different drugs, alcohol, opiates, stimulants. I mean, the rates in the legal field are much higher than in the general population. Um, but for me, uh, by the time I was working as a lawyer, I had almost ten years sober, and so. So it wasn't like I was, um, I wasn't really feeling shame about it, or it was more mm. that you don't know how people are going to react. And so once you say it, if you let it out of the bag, you can't put it back in the bag later, right? And so exactly. part of the reason I talk now is because I know a lot of people can't take that professional risk. And, you know, I'm retired, uh, you know, I always <laughs> emphasize early retirement. Um, so I can sort of speak in place of people who, um, who, who would, who would have valid fears of professional consequences. Um, and so it, it is part of it is to destigmatize, like you said, to really own it. I mean, for me to own that I shot meth, I mean, it wasn't, you know, addicted to alcohol, which is a harsh drug, but people yes. are a little more sympathetic, right? Than they okay. are to somebody who shot meth. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just want to open the conversation about, you know, it can be anybody who this happens to, but it's often pain underneath the trauma, abuse are often at the core of it. And so I like, you know, to sort of educate about those kind of things. Yeah, because people need to realize that the reason why you can get addicted to absolutely anything, not just drugs, not just sex, you know, they're not just the common things that people hear of, you know, anything can be addicted as long as it becomes a habit and then it becomes a feeling of a need. And then it just becomes continuous and over and over again. And people don't realize it can truly consume your life if you allow it to take over your life. 
And if you don't resolve with the trauma and you truly and you truly convince yourself that it's numbing your numbing you, because that's what you usually hear is that I take drugs because it numbs the pain and I don't want to face reality. What is your opinions on that? On 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 that when people say that? I mean, I think it's true. So so that if you have a trauma history as a child, your odds of developing an addiction are like three to six times higher than they would otherwise be. But the, but tied to that is that a high percentage of people, when they get sober, um, they have mental health. I had PTSD and I didn't even know it. I had severe anxiety. It took me longer to get my PTSD and anxiety under control than it took me to get my recover my substance recovery under control because it's more complicated. Wow. And it's older. And so it is true that many of us have to deal with both when we get sober. Our recovery has to be from both if we really want to be sort of our true self, our whole self and live our best life. That's true. That's very true. It's nice that, you know, when you're able to put in that perspective, people can think about their own trauma in a different, different way, as well as their own habits and their own addictions, because I feel like you give people a type of hope. Like if, if Mary Beth did it, I, then I can do it too. I mean, come on, you were a judge. But I guess when, when you were a judge, I don't know what type of law, I forgot to write it down. So uh, my apologies for not knowing, but when you were a judge and you faced, I don't know if you faced anyone that, that had addiction or drug convictions, I mean, how did you see them? You know, did you see them with sympathy or did you see them with like, oh, if I could do it, you can do it. And there's no excuses. Like you want one of those arrogant attitudes. I mean, for you, what was it for you? Yeah, I mean, I didn't do criminal cases, but but I did see people that had substance use disorders, but also usually trauma histories with it. And so I absolutely did. um, I understand, you know, I understand uh, not only what can push you into it, but also how hard it can be to get out of it. And so, uh, you know, anyone who's stuck in that, you know, has my sympathy. And part of what I do want to, you know, part of the reason I do talk is to be that beacon of hope. I mean, I, I suffered physical and sexual abuse as a child. I had two multi-assailant rapes. I lived with a violent boyfriend. I was a drug addict basically for 20 years. And I now have 29 years of sobriety. And I've gotten my PTSD mostly, you know, I say 92 to 95% improved. I'm in a healthy marriage. I'm a, you know, a good employee when I'm working. I'm a good sibling and friend. And all of that is from having done the work to heal. And it's it is hard in the beginning, but part of what I always like to let newcomers know is the beginning is the hardest part. It gets easier with time. And so if you can find your way, you know, stick through, stick to it for the first two years, you'll find that it gets easier and easier at that point. That's good. That's awesome. I, I love that. I, I feel like this conversation was very needed. I hope that it actually helps somebody who's a, who may be facing this type of trauma that they feel like they they can't get over because maybe they've handled the sobriety, but the trauma is still there. That, that, that could be exactly where you are at, where you feel stuck. And just hearing that experience from somebody else, that, that does give uh, a certain light, you know, to their lives. So I appreciate that. And But, but what made you put it in a book? You know what I mean? You could kind of continue to, to share at conventions or just help the people that you had access to as a judge and as you're in your law form. But what made you want to write a book and really get this out to the world? Because once you write a book, it's to the world. <laughs> 
It, it is. It is. And, and I will say part of it was that when I was appointed a judge, it was sort of like a time of reflection. You're like, how the heck did I do this? You know, um, but but I started reading memoir and I thought, you know, what I didn't see was a lot of memoirs sort of leap into the chaos of the addiction. They don't really show where it came from. And so in my memoir, I really do show what led up to it and why it made sense to me at the time to pursue drugs like I did. And then 30 percent of my memoir is about recovery and it's about the trauma recovery and the drug recovery. Um, and, and I did it on an individual plan. I didn't do it the AA way, you know, the 12 step way. And and so I wanted to show sort of like how I thought about it, the analysis and what recovery really looks like, because it's those first it's really the first three years that I that I cover. And those are the critical years to build the foundation, you know, to, to build a strong foundation that will see you through. So I just thought I wasn't seeing what I wanted to write. And so that was really what pushed me to do it. That's good. That's very good because that's interesting because not like you said, when people write about addictions, they just they pick a section and then they focus on that. You know, but you literally laid it out so that people can fully understand where your thought process was from the beginning to the end. Because in reality, that's what readers want to know. They want to know where where are where are you coming from? Where where did it lead you to this or to that? And how are you you <laughs> you know and that is a nice thing because like i said earlier it really does give people hope that in that there's possibility for change and in reality there is i mean you can change you just have to really want it you know and go after it and make that make that first step every single day that it's going to do it and even if you miss a day at least you know that you're going forward and, you, and, you, and you're trying because were there days for you that was just harder to just just do anything you were like Mary Beth we are not doing anything today <laughs> Well, the other reality is that most people don't have like perfect abstinence from day one. Like I used three times in my first five months, but you know, that was a lot better. You know? <laughs> um, and so, but you're right. I mean, it's a process and it's not a perfect process. None of us are going to be perfect in our recovery. None of us are going to, you know, behave the way we want every day. Uh, and part of it's really just learning. Like I had terrible interpersonal skills. I could, I would verbally aggressive if I felt like threatened or criticized, I would attack, you know, it's takes a while to unlearn those habits and to build better behaviors. I um, mean, it takes a while, took me a while for me to really, uh, to really be able to focus on more positive things. Like my natural inclination was always, you know, what don't I have? What have I lost? You know, yeah. what, what were my mistakes? And one of the techniques in recovery I found helpful was to sort of pause every once in a while and look at my progress, you know, because yeah. I wasn't going to notice it otherwise. And it's important to see the progress and congratulate ourselves on our hard work and our less than perfect, but, you know, overall moving in the right direction um, of progress. And so it was things like that. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. This has been really a great conversation. I really believe it. Like this is such a good time speaking to you. It's like speaking to an old friend or something like it was so easy to just speak to you. This is awesome. So I guess to fully start wrapping up the show, what would be some great advice that you can leave my audience with? Even though you already gave us so much great things to really think about, what can be some lasting words that can really make us think about this in a different way? 
I, I mean, I agree with you, but I really like what you said about the incremental progress. It's one of the things I talk about. I think in early recovery, sometimes we want to, you know, we want to think what's the five-year plan or even the two-year plan. But the truth is in early recovery, you don't know who you're going to be in a year or two years because you're going to change so much in that process. So I think what's really important is what's my, like, what's my first plan? What are my priorities and what's my first goal in each of those priority areas? And then what's my plan to reach the goal? And then once you do that, what's the next right goal and the next plan? And just incremental progress, as you, as you said in the beginning, that builds up faster than you would think. It's amazing how far you can go focusing on the right next step for two years. You know, it's really amazing. And so, especially in the early days, I really encourage people to focus sort of in that more immediate sense and not worry about two years from now or five years from now. Right. Cause it's going to come eventually. So might as well just focus on the now because man, when you think about the future, it can really make you freeze and get anxiety and then get yes. overwhelmed. And then, and then God forbid you start comparing yourself with other people. And it's like, ah, like no. <laughs> put the brakes on, relax, focus on you and just take it easy. Yes. I love it. I love that response. That's awesome. And if anybody in my audience would like to purchase the book or would like to know more about Mary Beth, please, you can find her on my website that goes directly to her website. Just click under her lovely photo and boom, check it out. She has a lot of great content that will truly make you think about, you know, life and addiction and trauma in just a different way that's necessary right now. Because as a humanity is evolving, we are also still hurting. You know, we're hurting a lot and it's time for us to come back to ourselves and start to see what's what's we've been pushing on other people you know to really be able to to be better and show better for the next generation because I'm pretty sure this is the reason why Mary Beth is speaking out because she wants the next generation to do better live better and strive for better you know so thank you Mary Beth for for doing this and sharing and going out to different conferences and having a busy 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 schedule like a little bee <laughs> thank you thank you thank you for also being on my show you have truly been so awesome so there you go you guys that's it that's the show always 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 be thinking y'all ah!